Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith and I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. No, I told him to say that. I was thinking about the ladies' conference that you're talking about. It's in Banbridge in October, isn't it? It's in Lisburn, actually. I actually got into trouble once. I mean, it was inadvertent. I said we were having a big woman's conference, which you have to be really careful about. So my wife picked me up on it. And then once I, once I, I was, uh, we had a ladies' team in India, and they'd lost, uh, the airline had lost all their luggage on the way out. And so when they were on the way home, I prayed, literally uh, prayed, a dead serious, Lord, bring the bags back home again. So it was, um, I got into trouble over that one as well. But uh, it's funny how these wee things, just little slips of the tongue, get you into a bit of difficulty. Anyway, look, it's, it's fantastic. I, I really mean it, honestly. I was here uh, just before you started your Sunday mornings. Uh, I've done a leadership night. really enjoyed it. I'm so encouraged by what God's doing in your midst. Keep on doing it and keep on coming. You know, a, a famous theologian, Woody Allen, once said, uh, 80% of success is just showing up. Isn't that right? Sometimes you just got to keep doing it and keep doing it, and incrementally, God, re- God brings about great changes, so keep on doing it, okay? Uh, just a, for a, just a, an introduction, my wife and I, uh, of 44 years, went, did something recently that we have never done before. Yep. And we always said, uh, we always said we never wanted to do it, and my wife said she would never do it, and she said even if I made her do it, she wouldn't enjoy it. We went on a cruise. It's what all old people do. You know, they, you know yeah, old people do things like that. But guess what? We loved it. We loved it. And the first cruise I went on, Kenny Dalgleish and Alan Hansen were there. And I, of course, I went over and got a selfie and did all the rest of it, etc. But one of the things I found was that when I, when I, whenever we went away, we, we, uh, we spent so many, we spent so much of our time in church and around Christians that we got a lot of time to spend with people who don't normally go to church. And, and I'm very outgoing. My wife likes, she just wants to, don't talk, I don't want to talk to anybody, Paul. I just want to read a book and sit by the swimming pool. But after about 24 hours, I get bored with that. And I just go and talk to people. And I got talking to this man one day. And of course, they always ask you the question, what do you do for a living? And, I, and honestly, sometimes I'm a bit reluctant to to tell them what to do, because it kind of shuts the conversation down. I mean, I, I met one guy, and he called me father for the whole trip, the whole time. Seriously. <laughs> His language was shocking. And he would swear, and he'd go, sorry, father. <laughs> Honestly. So, so I said to this man, I said, I said what, what did you do for a living? He said, I was a, 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 I've been a doctor all my life, you know. Uh, and I said, oh, great. And I said, oh, I, uh, I was a pa- I'm a pastor, you know, minister. And he went, I'm the world's greatest atheist. That's the first thing he said to me. I was like, oh, okay. And then he said this to me. He said, uh, he said how does it make you feel? That's a strange question, isn't it? He said, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, emotionally. I mean, are you, are you upset? Are you hurt? Are you angry? And I said, I thought for a minute, and Priscilla chipped, she was sitting there, and she, she chipped in. She said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. She said, I'm just disappointed for you. Said that you, you actually not get to know God and have this incredible relationship with Jesus 
So I really feel sorry for you. I really took him aback. It took him, uh, you know, he, he was sort of taken aback by it. So he went away and then he came back later. I'll, I'll finish the story in a minute. And he said, could, we, could my wife and I have dinner with you tonight? Interesting. So the, my point, the context is this, that it actually I made so many, talked to so many people, and what, they, what we got talking about was faith issues, and about Jesus, and about God, and the meaning of life, and the universe, and all that sort of thing. And so I began to think about some of the things that I think I have always thought about people who haven't been Christians are just not true. And it really was a, it was a real eye-opener to me. So I'm going to read in the, in the Gospels, uh, there's three stories. I'm going to read two of them. In Luke chapter uh, 15, uh, verse 1, uh, and Jesus is telling uh, a couple of stories. The first one is the parable called the story of the lost sheep. You, do you have it? Did I say? I think I sent it to you, did it? Okay. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law murmured, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's really important that we start and Jesus said to them uh, this parable. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost sheep! I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he said, let's suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I, 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 the problem has been this. Uh, certainly for me, the problem of being an insider for so long is that sometimes we forget what it's like to be on the outside, okay? And we make assumptions about people that I find, I've found on that ship weren't true. Now, I'm telling you my story. It mightn't be true for you, but I just found it fascinating talking to people who had, who had, um, who had either abandoned a faith, but most of them really had no faith. And, and I put down seven things here. Five of them, I think, were, they're in the passage too. They're slightly tenuous, but I'm going to try and deal with it. The first thing is this. Here we go. Number one, the sheep did not get lost on purpose. Okay? What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, in a sheep pen, sheeps don't wake up one day and go, let's plan a breakout today. You know, they don't do that. What they do, what happens is, you know anything about farming? A sheep puts its head down and it just munches. And it just eats. It munched its way to lostness, if I could put it like that. It got preoccupied. It just ate and it lost. And eventually looked, it put its head up and suddenly it was lost. It didn't get lost on purpose. Now here's, here's my point. Most people are lost through preoccupation with life. A lot of people... A lot of people in the 21st century, they're living really busy lives. I don't know about you, but people live really busy lives. If they've, got, if they've got children, you know, they're trying to do life. They're trying to eat slightly healthier, trying to exercise. They're trying to keep a career going. They take their kids to football, dancing. They're trying to do everything. Western lifestyle is very busy. They're not lost on purpose. They're just victims of the pace of life. And I wonder sometimes how we understand people. My point, my point simply is this. When I say people, sheep didn't get lost on purpose, and I equate that with people, I mean this here. Most people have not considered 
what Christianity is about, consciously studied it, and then rejected it. They've never actually thought about it. In fact, a lot of them have never actually heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So they don't suddenly go, well, I've thought all about Christianity. I've actively pursued it, but I don't believe it, and they've turned their back. Most people simply just drift through life, never thinking about the real issues of life. I, I, I suppose, you know, we assume, we assume that most people are living empty, miserable lives. I was on a cruise. They were all having fun. We assume they're all consciously running away from God. Honestly, some people are. Some people think about death all the time. But it's, it's true of very few. In fact, they're having a ball, and they hardly ever think about God. In fact, you know something? They think we're weird because we're here. I don't know if you have any, any friends like that. You know, it's, it's what, we, what we assume about them is just not true. They're not waiting for us to preach to them. But here's the point. If they haven't actively considered Christianity and rejected it, don't assume they're not open to the real thing. Maybe they just never heard it. Maybe actually they, they, they were waiting for, you know, not consciously, but maybe if they began to see what a Christian was like and hear what the gospel was and what Jesus had really done for them and what he can do for their life, for, for both on earth and eternity, maybe they would be open. Don't assume, don't say no on someone's behalf. My, uh, my, my atheist friend, as he's now become, uh, he, uh, we got talking at night, and I said, so, mentioning by name, I said, so you're, you're an atheist, yeah. And I said to him, this real Irish, says, I said, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Which doesn't make sense, sure, it doesn't really, but you know what I mean? If, you, if you're an atheist, you, you have made some assumptions about God and rejected them. And he was a very, he's a very smart guy. So he gave me, I, I, I think it was four or five things. Well, I, I reject a God who this and this and this. And I said to him, guess what? I don't believe in that God either. He'd never really heard the gospel. So point number one, if your friends and relatives don't get lost on purpose, and some do, but most don't, don't assume they're not open to a new way. Don't assume they're not open to a new way. Number two, the sheep got lost through the carelessness of someone else. And actually, it brings us to the context and the, uh, the explanation of our passage. There's two groups of people here. Remember I said that was key to understanding it. You've got the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. You've got the sinners. You've got the insiders and the outsiders. You've got the people who were the 99, and you've got the people who were the lost. And Jesus is talking to them both. And I'm telling them these, actually the three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And actually, he's talking to these two groups of people. And he's, he's, not, he's, he's not simply you know, telling them a message. He's telling them a story, a metaphor, which they get. And what he's saying to them is this, you people, you were the custodians of the law. You're the good people. You should have been looking after these people, but you didn't. And they get, they're mad. They're absolutely mad. And when he says to them, you see, the metaphor changes. First of all, it's an irresponsible shepherd who's lost the sheep. They get that. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees and the, and the, uh, the teachers of the law. 
He's saying, you lost the good, you lost the sheep. Then suddenly the metaphor changes and he becomes the good shepherd going off to these people. He's saying, you should have been responsible for these people. So the shepherd is first irresponsible in the story and then it changes to the good shepherd who goes to extraordinary lengths to rescue one sheep. Same way with the woman with the coin. She's irresponsible but suddenly something changes and she looks after and goes after the coin. They understood that. Here's the point. Somebody takes responsibility. Some people never got the chance to hear about Jesus. No options were ever given to them. Either they're, they're, it was restricted, maybe their mom and dad never let them go to church or, or whatever, or maybe, maybe they just didn't hear anything, or maybe the people around them didn't care enough. The point is this, these people didn't take responsibility. It's funny, I, I, I don't know if you know anything about um, uh, language. Uh, language is, uh, tells you a lot about the, the people. Um, I've got a friend in Cork, Tom Burke. He's a fluent Irish speaker, lives in a Gale tack. And uh, he tells me that, in, uh, he, he told me this illustration once. He said, Paul, he said, if, if an English you hold up a watch and you go, and you drop it, and you go, you would say, I dropped the watch, right? He said, in German, you say, I dropped the watch. He says, but in Irish, he said, you say, the watch dropped from my hand. In other words, it wasn't my fault. Now, it's funny. It's, fun, it's funny. Semitic language is exactly the same. There's no concept of taking responsibility. So, so, so in, in, this, in this scenario, Jesus talking to these people, here's a group of people here who should have taken responsibility, but they said it wasn't their responsibility. I don't want to think that the people that I know that God has made, brought into my life is anybody's responsibility but mine. There are responsibility. Your friends, your relatives, and of course, Jesus goes after them. One story, final story to illustrate this. This was told to me within the last nine months. A friend of mine who's a Baptist pastor, who should be nameless, he's told it publicly so it's out there. He was preaching in a Baptist church quite near his, he's retired now, uh, not, not the one he goes to, but another one. And he saw, he looked down the back and he saw his window, he saw his window cleaner. And, and he went down to him and he said, hey, what are you doing here? He said, well, you know, he said, I'm coming here a couple of years. He said, I, I clean the, the windows of the pastor of this church. And one day he asked me to come to an Alpha course. And he told me about Jesus. And I came to this church. You know what happened? I gave my life to Jesus. I got baptized and I'm part of this church now. Wow. My friend said, that's fantastic. And then he said, I've cleaned your windows for three years. You know what's coming, don't you? He really, honestly did. He said, I cleaned your windows for three years. And he said, why did you never tell me about Jesus? He said, he said, he said why did you never invite me to anything? He said, when the, pastor, when the pastor of this church invited me, I was so thrilled to be able to do it. I, I said, wow, I wonder what that's about. And I came and gave my life to Christ. Wow. And do you know what he did? He said, he said to my friend, and he said, but he said, as you're preaching tonight, I want you to tell them my story and what happened. Because if you don't, I'll jump up and tell the people here tonight. <laughs> he actually said that to him. Very, very simple thing. And, and it's this. 
The sheep got lost through the carelessness of someone else. Why don't we take responsibility for the people that God has put us in, our friends and our relatives? Don't say there's somebody else's responsibility. They're actually ours. Let's pray for them. Take them on. And when appropriate, invite them. Share, share Christ with them. Tell them what God's done in your life. Don't be embarrassed about it. Take responsibility. Number three, the sheep didn't know it was lost. The coin didn't know it was lost. Now, I know the coin's an inanimate object, and that's true, but it, 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 it isn't, there's no sense of it. it, it you know, there's sheep, sheep, sheep will know I'm not there, but the, the concept of being lost is, is not there. Now, here, here's, my, here's my point. People in our society have little or no consciousness of sin anymore. Now, they, they understand that life's not what it should be, that they've messed up, they feel a bit of shame, they're a bit embarrassed about things. But the concept, the Christian concept of, of that there's a God and mankind is separated from Him by their sin, and that sin has to be bridged by someone other than themselves, and they can't do it on their own. The idea of concept of this, this incredible concept of sin. People have no idea about that. They, they get it that, that they've had a slip up and there's something wrong. But I, honestly, most people have no concept of that. I've got a son-in-law and when he, whenever he's, they live in, my daughter and him live in England or, or in, uh, in Scotland. And when they come over, they go to church and he says to me, Paul, he says, I get, I get the idea of a God who loves people. Okay, I get community and church. I get, uh, I get, you know, uh, trying to help people, etc. But he said to me one day, "But Paul, I don't get sin. Talk to me about it." It's a real difficult one, isn't it? Now, I, I would contend today, and I, I, I've done this before in in the church. None of you remember it, though. I, I think we actually, because of that, we have to take people on this incredible journey in our lives. It's not helpful if you go into your office tomorrow morning and go, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Okay, that, don't do that, okay? It's not really helpful, all right? It won't really win and influence anybody. But I, I, what we used to do in the old days, and certainly when I was a lad, was this. We wanted, we wanted people to um, behave themselves. So we, we were great about calling people out for their morality, etc. So we wanted to sort, sort your life out. If you believe what we believe, we might let you belong here. I'm, I'm getting a vibe here, okay? I'll do it again, all right? We, we wanted people to behave themselves. You, you're in church, you behave yourself. And if you believe what we believe, we might let you belong. Funny, Jesus turned it in its head, didn't he? And he got a group of men who belonged. He took them on a journey of believing, and he taught them how to become what God had called them to be. Now, I suggest to you that we need to take a group of people in our lives on a journey, connect with them in a real way, when I say belong, I mean, you know, I, I mean, a sen sense of connection, friendship, and take them on a journey and show them by your life and your testimony that journey of believing. Take them on that. I often tell the story of George, who, uh, whose daughter came to our church. She was about 16, got saved, and uh, he was a bit unhappy about it, uh, about her coming to our church, and he came along to see what was going on, and he came to an Alpha course. Alpha is a... a a course which takes you through the basics of Christianity over a period of six or seven weeks. Burr Grylls is now the face of Alpha. 
You see it advertised. He's the, he's the guy who, who pumps it. And it takes people on a journey through having food together, having discussion, and listening to a short talk. So it's, it's, it's a really good thing. We have found it really effective in helping people find faith in Christ. So George came along, and uh, he, was, he was a fair bit older than us. Uh, it's a number of years ago. And he said, he said to me after the second week, he said, Paul, at last I found a group of people to whom I feel I belong. He started meeting a group, and he was really connected with them. And they went right through the course. It was 10 weeks in those days. And he didn't become a Christian. And he said to me, I'd love to do another course. Would that be okay? I said, sure. And here he said, he said, could I be an assistant leader this time? And I said, well, that's kind of difficult, George, because you are an atheist. You know, so we actually are promoting Christianity here. So we really we need to be, you know, we've got to be careful. And he said, I'm going to bring four friends. And I went, all right, you can. So I, said, I actually did. And so we became an assistant leader, the only atheist assistant leader we've ever had. But he took the four friends through the whole course. Guess what? In the course of, in the, course of the course, they all came to Christ. And he didn't. I honestly, it took, I think it was about three and a half before eventually I said to him, George, are you on the bus? So, you know, he used term, he said, yeah, I've bought the ticket, Paul. In other words, he, he'd taken a step of faith and, and, and had invited Jesus into his heart and his life. My suggestion is, why don't, you, why don't you do something this year? And I always challenge people about this wherever I go. Take, pray, pray about three, take three people in your life that you see on a regular basis and take them on a journey of belonging and believing. Let them see by your life, and when appropriate, tell them about Christ. Tell them about the reality of your faith. Most, so interesting, most witnessing in the New Testament is due to a, a question that's asked. And Paul said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. You know, Peter on the, Peter on the, on the, on the day of Pentecost, you know, Peter says, no, no, guy, don't hang on, we're not drunk. And he tells them what's going on. Why? Because they were asked a question. Let people ask questions. So number four, moving on. The sheep was lost through a, mis through miscal a, a simple miscalculation, a small miscalculation. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, in, in, in a sheep is that, you know, it, it, it was hungry. It put its head down and it walked off. It didn't mean to get lost, but a small miscalculation meant that it got lost. And what, what I found is this. Sometimes, sometimes that happens in people's lives. And what it, what it does is this. And because sometimes the nature of Christians is that they feel that one simple mistake, one simple thing that happened in their life, um, that God would never, ever, ever, ever be interested in them. Um, let me tell you my story. My, uh, when my mom, 1945, I'm not that old, not okay, but when my mom was 16 in 1945, uh, she, she got pregnant and came from a really, really uh, Christian, devout Christian home. So in 1945, and a 16-year-old gets pregnant, not a lot of fun today, to be honest with you, but in 1945, it was awful. And uh, I have an older brother. I have a, I have a half-brother uh, who doesn't look anything like me. He's about eight inches smaller than me and got red hair and brown eyes, so it's completely different. Um, but he is my brother. And, uh, but you know something? Mom never got over that. Never got over the shame. Mostly because, mostly because when she was young, there were a lot of people who pointed the finger at her and told her she was a disgrace. 
And whenever she, actually, she, she came to know Jesus in her 50s, and it was an incredible release, but even in her 80s, she really struggled with the whole shame of it. Now, now here, here's, here's my point. We, some, sometimes in life, people, people do dumb things. Anybody ever done anything dumb here? Yeah, okay. People do any dumb things. And, and, and the, 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 problem, the problem is this. We've got to be really careful about preaching simply morality to people who aren't Christians and pointing out their big mistakes. Really careful about it. Why? Be, because actually, unwittingly, you can undermine the grace of God. Because if you simply say to somebody, listen, you need to get your life in order and pull your socks up, you, you, you actually say, somewhere along the line, you, tran- you, you transmit a message to them that, that if they just pulled their socks up and lived a better life, they'd be okay. Actually, that's not correct. God's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You undermine the grace of God by doing that. And instead of pointing out to them that there's an incredible God who loves them, in spite of the fact that they have made a miscalculation, God loves them and is passionate about them. In fact, He loved them so much that He sent His Son to die for them. There's something incredible about the message of the gospel that the person who feels the heaviest guilt at times, the biggest load of shame, that Jesus comes and removes that and takes that away because of the cross. Never, never let someone's past determine their future. I got my hair cut about six months ago. <laughs> and uh, I, do, I, go, I, get a, I you know, go to the same person. I, 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 can't, I, t- I bought a pair of clippers, and my wife... Uh, attempted to shave my head and, and actually stabbed me with it. You know, she, she kept hitting me with it. So I said, that's it. I'm going back to my hairdresser again. Four ninety, it costs big money. It doesn't take long. And I always go to the same girl and I have been going to her for a number of years. Guess what? I know everything about her life. I don't know. Are there any hairdressers here? Just tell you everything about their life. And there's some stuff, there's some stuff she's telling me about her life and I'm going, I'm going, I don't want to hear this. You know, I, I, I'm a Christian minister. Please stop talking like this, will you? I don't want to hear this stuff. But I mean, I know, I know a lot about her family and her kids and all the rest of it. And I come in, I come in about six months ago, and, uh, and she was crying. I said, what's wrong? And she said, I've got, a, I've got an awful pain in my shoulder, and I haven't slept all night, and I feel terrible. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I need to pray for her. And I went, do I have, do I have to? You mean, you mean now? And, the, and, and, and so I said, Lord, if there's nobody in the shop when I'm, going to go, when I'm going out, I'll pray for her. So when I went to pay, guess what? There's nobody in the shop, yeah, just her assistant. And I said, look, let me pray for you. And she said, she was a bit, she said, oh, oh, because she knows, you know, she knows what I do. And, you know, and she, she said, oh, say we pray for me. And I said, no, I'll pray for you right now. And she said, she said, oh, okay, all right then. And her assistant shouted out and said, well, you've tried everything else. Why don't you try prayer? Well, you know. And actually, she was very, so, so it went like this, you know, so I stand across from her, and, uh, you know, she, she didn't go to church, she hadn't, you know, I don't know if she, she'd been, but, you know, not for, not for 20 years, and so she doesn't know to close her eyes and put her hands out, you know, there's nobody playing the keyboard behind me, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of awkward, she just got her eyes open, and, you know, and I'm going, would it be all right if I touched your shoulder? Yeah, okay, I touched her left shoulder, and then I just felt the Lord speak to me, and I said, I mentioned her by name. I'll call her Joan. It's not her name. I said, Joan. And I said, Joan, you know, you think that all the stuff 
that you've done in your life has made God mad, and he's getting even. And that's why all this stuff's happening in your life. But it's not true. Actually, Joan, God loves you. And he's got, he's got a plan for your life if you would surrender yourself to him. In fact, I said, I got really, I was starting to preach. I said, but Joan, and I said, you know, God's not disillusioned with you because he, he had no, no illusions to begin with. And she said, she broke down and started to cry. I got a wonderful opportunity to talk to her about God's love and passion for her life and what God wanted to do in her life. And, and I suppose what I'm trying to say is this. I don't think, I don't think anybody had ever said that to her before. They only ever pointed out the stuff that had gone on in her life. Maybe, maybe let's just, can we just back off from people a bit? Just give them a break. Life's hard sometimes. My mother found it hard, honestly. And even as an 88-year-old, when she, whenever she passed away, you know, she said to me one night, I had a dream last night that Granny came to me and said, you're a disgrace. She carried that all her life. Could, could we simply say to people, you know something, no matter what's gone on in your past, there's a wonderful Savior called Jesus Christ who wants to take that and lift it off you. He removes not only guilt, but also shame. He removes shame from us. Okay, quickly moving on. I'm prattling on. Okay, number five, okay. Uh, number five, to be considered lost must mean the item, come on, you can do this. There you go. When you, thank you. When you search for something, you've done a brilliant job. Thank, when you search for something, it usually means it's valuable. That's an interesting one. Uh, you know, when you search for something. If, something's not, if you lose something and you can't find it and you don't search for it, it generally means you don't care about it. But when you search for something, it generally means it's of value. And of course, simply speaking spiritually, the Jesus who searches for men and women and you and me, he who owns us calls us law, calls them lost. Uh, and, and most people have no idea how important they are to God. And part of our job is to help them realize that. Sometimes we think our job is to help them realize how bad they are. But actually, what we've got to do is to make them realize how valuable they are to God. Because if you're, they're not valuable to God, then you know something, then Jesus died in vain. They must be of some value for God to send his own son to them. And if we only ever see them as projects to be evangelized instead of, instead of people to be loved, or think of them as the enemy, it'll immediately put people on their guard. When I was, uh, when I was 19, I went to preach at the Methodist uh, Central Hall in Belfast. It doesn't exist anymore. But the deal was that every Wednesday night, they would bring the down and outs uh, the people who lived in the streets. In Belfast in those days, there were a lot of people, uh, even then, and they gave them soup and sandwiches if they would listen to a talk. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? But that's what they did. It's terrible. So um, as a young brash preacher, I came in and saw about 25 men who were pretty... I mean, if you've lived in the street for any length of time, you know, there's a certain odor, and etc. that goes with it. It's just, it's just living on the street. If you don't wash, that's what happens. And, uh, and so I, I got up there, and I preached my best hell message I could, I could get. I really gave it to them and told them that they were, you know, filthy, dirty, all the rest of it. Seriously, it was terrible. And the minister, actually, he was a few years older than me, but I'd been to school with him. And, and, and I finished, the men shuffled out and got their soup and sandwiches. And as I finished, he said to me, Paul, thanks for coming today. I said, oh, it's, it's been a great privilege. And he said, uh, he said, there is just one thing. 
You, you know, when somebody says that to you, is a stinger coming? You, do you know that? You know, there's just one. And he said, he said, Paul, the men that you spoke to tonight have absolutely no, they're not, they're not in any doubt that their lives, that they feel their lives are worthless and broken. And, and in those days that they were hell deserving. He said, that they actually know that. They have no sense of value or worth. But he says, the one thing that they have no idea about is that there's a God who loves them and wants to show them mercy and grace. But thanks for coming anyway, Paul. It's a big lesson to me. It's a big lesson to me. And it's simply this, that when you search for something, it generally means it's valuable. I have, I've only got notes, but I've got two 20-euro notes here. Can you see them? 20-euro. And I've got one here that's been a, it's actually pretty dog-eared and crinkled and a bit dirty, to be honest with you. Yeah. Which one's of more value? Which one's of more value? Well, the answer is, of course, they're both of equal value, aren't they? Because their value is determined not by the condition they're in, but by the Central Bank of Ireland or by the Treasury, if you're in the UK, whatever that note should be. Actually, you know, what, 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 what makes somebody valuable is not where they've been last night or what they've done with their life, what makes them valuable is that the Son of God died on a cross for their sins. That's what makes them valuable. And we need to value people. Okay. There's no one that you know that isn't valued by God. And no matter where they've been, you think of the worst person you can think of. Listen, God loves them and has a plan for their life. Okay. Number six and seven. Two, two left. And then in fact, we all right? Are we okay for a couple of minutes? Keep going. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, I'm okay. Well, here, very simply, when you're lost, it's difficult to trust a stranger. And it's a, very, it's a short one, but it's, it's a funny one because in the days before Google Maps, do you remember they used to stop people and, get, and, and, and ask the, the way? I don't know what it is about men. Is it just me? But I would rather drive around for an hour lost and ask somebody the way. Would you, is anybody, anybody is, is, is it just something in them? I mean, we would drive along until they go, stop and ask that person, too old. What do you mean too old or too old? And I drive on them. She'd ask them, too young. Do you know what I mean? Too small, too, too tall. You know, I, I, I did everything. Why? Because I don't like asking strangers. I did, you know, I, I didn't want to ask them the way. And what you find is people who are lost, could I just say, you know, without being offensive in any way, actually men and women are lost. It's not their, it's not their you know, mildly out of the way. Actually, they're lost. I mean, you're lost, it's difficult to trust a stranger. And people ask, and people are lost. They ask people they trust most. The problem is, I discovered this on the cruise, and actually, most of us don't know many people who aren't Christians. Remember being younger, you've, you're, you're, that, that's, that's your, you know, I, I go to Irish League football, and I, I meet very different people there, I can tell you. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a regular. Uh, but, but, you know, they find it, it's only when they connect with you that they start to ask you stuff. And I, I just simply say this on, on this point. Uh, you know, why don't they call us up and ask us for a better life? Because they don't know us. Make real friendships with people. Not, don't see them as projects just to be evangelized. Make genuine friendships with people and connect with them and love them. And you know something? If, if they never become Christians, still keep loving them, still keep being their friend. All right? Really important. Okay, number seven, and I'm finished. And it's this, when you're lost, directions are always confusing. 
when you're lost, directions are always confusing. The first time I came here, uh, uh, this wasn't painted. Uh, Phil was just, was just, I think you were just about to sign for it, etc. And you gave me very explicit directions, and I still got lost. But isn't, isn't, isn't that right? You know, because here, here's, here's the point. When you're, lost, uh, when you're lost, directions are always confusing because people who give directions assume that you know more than you do. So Phil would say, well, what, you know, I mean, he didn't do this, but he, 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 gave, he said, well, you can come the seagull route or you can come over the bridge. Well, I mean, I'm already lost then, you know. Do you know what, what are we talking about here? So he said, so you come up to the bridge and then he said, so you go straight. And then there's a fork on the road and you take the right one and there's, a, there's an entrance there. So I ended up in a, in a driveway down there. That was the first one I tried. Then I backed out again. It's difficult to get here. And he said, there's a wee street and then you turned and then I went down to the bottom of the street again. Do, do you understand? I mean, and actually what people say, it's funny when, you're, when, when people are giving you directions, you know, they always go like, well, you go the second on the right, there's a round about, you take the third exit, there's a BP station, just go up there, and then over to the left, you'll see a school, and then just over to the right, there's a, there's a, a you can see this, it's a, a factory type of thing, and then they always go, you couldn't miss it. <laughs> Don't they always say that to you? And you always do. Now, here's my point. Direction givers don't realize that lost people take directions very seriously. So what's my point? Well, well my point is simply this. Keep it simple. Keep it really simple. Don't assume that people know anything. Don't feel, if I told somebody God loved them, they'll think that, actually, that's simple. Honestly, people don't know that. We had a, a, a young man who uh, got converted through Alpha in our church, and I was doing a series uh, on 2 Corinthians. And, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians, there's a part that Paul talks about his, uh, all the things that he's gone through in life. And he says, he says amongst others, he says he was shipwrecked three times. He said he was beaten by uh, 39 times. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. I don't mean, but he was literally stoned, okay? He was left, yeah. He would just have to, you see what I mean? Directions, very careful. He was, he was left for dead. And so what we did was in our, in our small groups then that met on a Tuesday night, there was always a connection between Sunday teaching and what was done in a small group. So this young man, he heard the talk on Sunday, and on, on Tuesday night he said, that was amazing on Sunday. I wasn't there, but I was told this, and he said, I could, you could hardly believe that. And I said, no, that was amazing. That, that, what, that, what that man has gone through, you know, beatings, prison, drowning, you know, he'd been in, in, in shipwrecked. He, incredible. And, and, and they said, he said, you wouldn't think just by looking at him that he, and they, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, Paul. He thought I was the Paul in the Bible. <laughs> honestly, honest to goodness. I'm serious. Now, it's really close, actually. It's really close. You know, we're, there's not much between Paul and me. But my, 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 again, my point, simply, my, my point simply is this. That, you know, when people are lost, directions can be very confusing. And sometimes you just need to do what I did with Donna and go, you know something? Listen, all the stuff that's going on in your life, you think, oh, I need to go into great depth about creation and tithing and the virgin birth and everything. Don't worry about that. Tell them that God loves them. It can be a very liberating thing when they discover that somebody loves them. And actually that God has a plan for their life. And if they would surrender their life to Jesus Christ, he'll forgive their sin, begin a new life in them, and actually settle 
really important that they're no longer lost, but they're found. Two separate things. I don't know if you are a visitor here or you're a guest or whatever, but I don't want to be offensive in calling you lost, but it might be that actually for the first time in your life you're thinking, is there a God who really loves me? Actually, there is. Honestly, I, can, I absolutely believe that with all my heart because the Bible, the Bible tell, says it. Another reason why I believe it is because when God sent His Son to die on a cross, it was because He loved you. Because of that, remember I talked about that incredible gap of that, that, that plank of sin, man's sin, that actually God couldn't overlook because of who He is, but He provided a way where your sins would be forgiven and you could be what the Bible calls reconciled, made right with God. Maybe you've never thought about that before, but it wouldn't be incredible if somebody suddenly realized, that's me. God loves you. He sent a son to die for you, and he wants to give you a new life. So, as we finish tonight, take three people on a journey this year, will you? Can I see a no- I can't see anybody say, just pretend you're nodding anyway, okay? You know, make me feel better about myself here, okay? You know, t- take people on a journey of believing and let them see what the gospel is all about. Let's pray. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a few things I'd like you to do. Subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed. Secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can go onto our website at ariatchurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Ariat Church Podcast.